Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us again today. And uh, I'm here with really a, a new friend, Davey Jones. Davey, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. It, it's a topic that I'm kind of geeking out on as of late. And I think really the impetus to even have this conversation on the Boca Podcast started with a conversation in a Facebook group, if I remember correctly. But it's it's a loaded topic, one about creating a website that will actually convert clients. And we're going to dig into that uh, in much depth here in just a little bit. But I'd love to start off our podcast interview today with something that I'm, I'm now calling the lesson. I was calling it the aha moment, and I think that created a little bit of confusion for um, some of our guests in that aha moment. What does that actually mean? But very simply, the lesson or the, the biggest, hardest lesson that you may have learned as a business owner, I wonder if you'd share that with our listeners so that maybe they can take something away and, and apply that to their business. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's just such a great question. And I feel like there's so many different things that I could talk about. I think as of late, and maybe it's not, you know, at least something that we've been working through for the last uh, two years or so is this idea of uh, pivoting. And when we, when we think about pivoting, we often think about these massive changes, you know, somebody going from being an accountant to being a photographer. But I think that every day in business really requires uh, a pivot. You know, it's constantly trial and error. It's constantly trying new things, getting really excited about something. Uh, and this ties into something I'm sure we'll talk about later, but getting really excited about something and then it just not resonating uh, with other people. And so figuring out, okay, so, you know, how do I move forward? And, and for us personally, it was really transitioning out of the Rising Tide Society so a couple of years ago, we had helped found the Rising Tide Society and we were photographers before that. So we had gone from being primarily photographers to running the Rising Tide Society and helping creative brands and businesses and then stepping away from that and, and you know, excited about kind of what we were, what we were going to do, but realizing that like, you know, past uh, successes, so to speak, don't necessarily follow into what you're doing or whatever the next thing is that you're doing. So, you know, things being a little bit more challenging than we, than we thought they would have to be. I think too, when you build a successful business and you go to start something else, you forget how much work went into building that initial business. So true. Yeah. And so when you start something else, you, you really have to go back to the basics in some respect. It's not that you're starting from, from nothing. You know, you have the experiences of, of, you know, you have past experiences to build on, but at the same time, you know, that initial hustle, you really got to go back to. And so one thing that we just, that, that, that we talked about internally a lot was just this idea of uh, pivoting and not again in, in some massive ways, but making small changes every single day based on the results that we were seeing, not getting discouraged at different failures, but just continuing to move forward, trying out different things, figuring out what's resonating and doing more of that. 
And, you know, so I guess, I guess the lesson in that and the lesson in pivoting would just be showing up every day. You know, you really got to show up every single day when it comes to uh, building a business. Yeah. Being willing to, to kind of go with the flow and to iterate. I think that's so important. It's a great reminder. And, and what you said also reminded me of an important idea that we, frankly, we talk about a lot here on the podcast, but I, I don't think we can say it enough. And that is the significance of having an overarching, what I refer to as a big picture view. And very simply, that would mm-hmm. be kind of the, the long-term goals that you have for yourself as an individual. And of course, that translates then to what you do in business. And you mentioned this idea that you ended up in a place that you didn't think you would be professionally, but mm-hmm. really that that can be okay. You know, as, as artists, it's easy to identify ourselves as quote artists or as photographers and build our identity in that individual profession when really that profession isn't our identity. It may be a reflection of it, but I think what's most important is our values and our values then will determine our goals as an individual. It'll determine our goals as a business person. And we can find various avenues to reach those goals from a professional standpoint. And so I love that you've set that example. You've, you've pivoted, as you said, you've iterated, you've, you've gone from photography to helping run a community and now running a, a branding business very simply. And we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit more depth here in just a bit. But um, I love that you're an example of just that idea. And I think it's important for our listeners to, to keep in mind that while that photography business you have and your identity as an artist um, or so-called identity as an artist is important, don't let that determine who you are and be willing and flexible to iterate or to pivot. I think this is a wonderful way to start off our conversation. Yeah. And I just, uh, you know, and even before that I was a high school English teacher. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, so it, it really is, I think, I mean, I think just life, life, right. Is a, is a, a windy path and just realizing that people don't get it right necessarily starting out of the gate. You know, a lot of the assumptions that we make about business are, uh, are wrong, you know, and that's just part of being, uh, being human. You know, a lot of the assumptions that we make often don't turn out to be the case. Uh, and that's okay. And you just have to learn from those and move on and, and pivot. Yes, that's so good. Well, I, we don't normally at, at the the podcast. In fact, I don't know that we ever have actually read a bio of any of our guests. I like that. I like the informality of just kind of diving into conversation and then kind of slowly getting to know our guests at, during the conversation. And speaking of, I'd, I'd love to just have you share maybe something random about yourself personally uh, that most people might not know about you. Yeah. So, I mean, we, you've kind of gotten a glimpse of it uh, so far of a very eclectic background. Uh, I actually studied theology in college. That's my undergraduate degree. And then I have a master's in multicultural education. And I went on to become a high school teacher and a uh, varsity lacrosse coach. And, you know, from there helped Krista build her photography business, but that was primarily her business. And then went full time from, you know, somewhere along the way uh, from being a high school teacher to this photography business. And at the time she was starting, you know, her, her branding and design business was really kicking up as well. And I'm just a big believer in that there's, there's really no wasted experience, mm. you know, experiences, you know, and I think I might've gotten this from one of Jeff Goins earlier books, the art of work, but God wastes nothing, you know? And so I look back at kind of that windy path and realize, you know, I, there's, there's stuff that I still, there's experiences from those past experiences that I still dig into each and every day doing what we're doing today. 
Yeah, that's a really great way to put it. It actually reminds me of a quote that I that I read recently, or actually listened to, and then read in a in a book called "Building a Story Brand" by Donald Miller. And I, I, this is it's made such a big impact on me. And and I'm sure we'll kind of dig into some of the principles associated with that book here shortly. But one of the things that that he mentions in that book in that book is a quote by Alfred Hitchcock that goes something like. An interesting story is life minus all the boring parts, and um, and and I you know when, from a marketing standpoint that certainly resonates. But even even as you're talking about all these different experiences that we have in life, um, I think we should rather than resist them, you know, the, the possibility of change or the reality of change. Again, learn to go with the flow, accept them, and even embrace them. And uh, if nothing else, we'll have an interesting story in the end. Uh, but I, but I love. I think that, that having that eclectic background and all types of different experiences really not only makes or can make a, a, a person more interesting, but also can lend a lot of insight to developing a business, especially the type of business that you're in. So I think that's really really powerful, and and we should embrace opportunity for all types of experiences. Certainly, even in the last four or five years, I've I've tried to do that, and it's been absolutely wonderful. It's pushed me, and I want to continue to do more. And you mentioned being a theology major. Um, most people don't know that I was actually a, a Bible major in college as well. Hey, okay. And a youth ministry focus, and, and needless to say, my life shifted pretty drastically, and that's a whole different conversation and story for another time. But uh, we do share that in common, so that's that's pretty cool. You mentioned your wife uh, on multiple, multiple times now, your wife Krista, and I'm curious how you guys like to spend your free time together these days. Yeah, I mean, we we travel a lot just because of work and conferences and things like that. Uh, we have a lot of friends who live, you know, across the country, uh, so we do like to travel. But really, we're we're homebodies at uh, at heart. We prefer, you know, just to hang out with uh, with close friends, working on house projects. We love working out in the yard. We've been waiting for the arrival of our first kid. So, That's so in awesome. June, yeah, we have a due date in June. I'm pretty, and I'm so excited about that. So lately, uh, we've been putting together the nursery. We've had a lot of friends who are pregnant. So we've had a lot of baby showers, things like that. But we, we really like spending time with close friends, you know, just small groups, small groups hanging out. Our friends kind of joke because, you know, sometimes you get married and it almost feels like you have to plan things really far out in advance with people, you know, to make things to make things work. But our friends joke with us that we were more available. We're more available now than we were before we got married, just because we're, we just love spending time or spending quality time with our friends. That's, that's really, really great. And, and this is a topic that's come up on the podcast, particularly as of late. How do you actually create that time for your friends? Because what I've noticed, um, and, and it just even just happened this week in a, in a local photographer's group, is that it seems like that people are, are easily finding reasons or excuses not to spend time together in person, you know, making up a 10 minute, 15 minute, maybe even a half hour drive to go visit somebody. It, it just doesn't seem to be enough a priority anymore in many cases, whether, whether they're personal or, or professional relationships to just simply make the concerted effort and do it. So I'm curious if there is a particular way that you approach creating that space and that free time for yourselves as business owners to have, the space and the time for your friends. Yeah, I think it, I think it comes down to just feeling like you have a margin in your life in general. And I really have to credit Krista for this because most of the discipline and boundaries uh, in our life are established by her, and she's really the one that keeps us on track in that regard. You know, I'm a, I tend to be a little bit more, you know, fly by the uh, 
um, just kind of whatever's going on, I'll, you know, I can, I'll go do, but for us, you know, we, we step away from the computers and, uh, and email after dinner. So we sit down uh, for dinner together every night. And after that, we don't go back to computers or email, things like that. We make sure that we take at least one day a week off. And when you run your business, that that's actually, I mean, that, that can be difficult to do sometimes, you know, on the weekends, it's easy to fill your time with more work stuff, especially because you probably enjoy what you're doing. So it's easy to fill empty time, uh, time where maybe you don't have any commitments uh, with, with work. So we're sure to plan at least one day a week where we have that day off entirely. We don't check email. We don't do any work related stuff. And, you know, maybe it's, we're out in the, in the yard working in the garden, or we go and see family or friends or something like that. Another thing that we do, and this has been something that we've done the last couple of years is we have one true vacation a year. And by true vacation, I mean something that at least at lasts at least 10 days and we don't do any work while we're away. Last year, we went to Italy. The year before that, we went to Napa together. Nice. And yeah, all of that, it just, you know, it, it creates space in your life. And I feel like when I come back from vacations like that, I feel even more excited about the work that I have in front of me. And I think that's something that just this, this concept of margin and rest is something that I picked up while studying theology. And something I learned about Judaism was that they view the nighttime as the beginning of the day. And so there's this idea that the first thing you do is rest so that you can complete the tasks that are laid out before you. Huh, that's really cool. Yeah. And so it's just, it's just this concept of, of rest to work instead of working to rest. Because when we, when we work to rest, I feel like we, we find that you know, there, there's always more work to do. So we've never quite achieved um, enough. And when you've never, when you feel like you've never quite achieved it, you work harder, you work longer, and then you eventually burn out. So that concept of rest being the first thing that you do every day and something that you should really take seriously has kind of changed my perspective on uh, time management. And I, and I think it just created a lot more margin in our lives. And so we don't feel as rushed or we don't feel as burned out and we can make time for you know, each other and things that we want to do and, and also friends. Oh, that's a beautiful example and 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 so well put and I love that idea of starting with rest versus you know kind of putting it off to the last possible minute and then you only end up getting 4 or 5 hours and you need to repeat that process over and over again and mm-hmm. of course the assumption there is I need to you know hashtag #hustle I need to to work really really hard the problem is you're not in, in many cases if not most cases not able to give near as much to your business especially when it comes to clarity of thought and and in some cases even creativity uh, mm-hmm. If you're just absolutely exhausted and burnout from constantly going all the time, so I, I love that you guys are prioritizing that. Uh, I even say um, when to to, to uh, the photography industry through the podcast or when I have the opportunity to speak or whatever, to even take two or three vacations a year. I know even in the next month, I'm going to be taking my kids to go out to Seattle. We'll spend some time out there with family, and my kids have never been to Seattle, so we'll do some sightseeing there. And then we're going to go uh, to New York City as well. And then I'm taking my son to uh, Austin to go to the MotoGP races. And that's just in the next month. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. I, I think, and, and I mean, this is really kind of one of the busiest season or times of the season for me as, mm-hmm. as an owner at Photographer's Edit. And as I mentioned, some of the efforts that we're, that we're putting into the company right now with adjusting messaging and the user experience on the website and, and so forth, there's plenty to do, but there's no reason if we don't prioritize it that we can't also set time aside to, to give ourselves 
a, a mental and even spiritual break so that we do have that that excitement um, and the creativity and energy to throw back into our business when we come back to it. So I, again, I love that you guys are prioritizing this. I think it's a wonderful example and something that we can all learn from. Now, you, you mentioned earlier that, that you were a, a teacher, a photographer, community leader, developer, and, and leader, and now you're in the world of brand development. And <laughs> I, I mean, these are yeah. pretty big jumps around, but I'm really curious how you got into brand development with Krista. Yeah. So Krista was a graphic design major in school and she kind of, you know, she figured out that she wanted to be a designer. She figured that out in high school. She was, she actually thought she wanted to go to school for journalism. She was part of the school newspaper, but figured out that uh, she actually cared more about the layout of the school newspaper way more than the writing inside. <laughs> so she went to school to be a graphic design major and she got a job. It, she wasn't even out of college yet. She got a job with a, a large nonprofit as a web designer. And while she was there, she learned to code and do some developing. And she had just come out of an internship at an invitation studio. So she kind of had this, this idea of wedding photography hanging in the back of her head, and she was exploring that. So simultaneously, she's learning. She's furthering her skill in, in design. You know, she's, she's become a web designer, picked up some, uh, some coding uh, and developing uh, skills. And she's starting this wedding photography business. And so as she was starting a wedding photography business, it made sense for her to build her own website since that's a skill that she already had. And so she built her own website. The wedding uh, photography business started to pick up. Other people in the wedding photography industry saw our website and went to her and said, hey, can, can you help me with my website as well? And so that was sort of a side hustle to her side hustle uh, in the beginning where she was just helping other people build uh, their websites. And so that business grew simultaneously alongside our wedding, wedding photography business. So sometime uh, a couple years later, and I'd been helping Krista uh, along the way, I'd been second shooting with her and I'd been teaching and we got to a point where I couldn't teach five days a week and then go shoot on the weekend. It was just too much for me. I kind of had to decide, okay, am I going to stick with teaching or am I going to go full-time in this other business, uh, this photography and design business? And I, deci I decided to go full-time with Krista. And I was always really more interested in the design side of the business. I love, I love photography. I love shooting weddings. I love the clients we work with. But I really was interested in how things work. And I was really interested in digital marketing. And so those are things that I was trying to learn more about and get better at. And not only for our own business, because we had to market our own business, but also just because it, it fascinated me. And I was always kind of, I've always been interested in how things work and then uh, sort of innovating from there. So that was, you know, I don't even know how many years ago. And, you know, along uh, Right around that was the time that all that was happening, and I'd stepped down from teaching. Shortly after that, we started the Rising Tide Society along with Natalie Frank and her husband. And with the Rising Tide Society, I was doing even more digital marketing type work. While that was a community for photography, you know, we weren't, you know, it wasn't a photographer's business, right? It was a, and it's a community for not just photographers, of course, but creatives in general. Sure. So for that, I was learning much more in the way of digital marketing and eventually Rising Tide became part of HoneyBook. And there I got, I thought, a really good educational experience in user experience and all the, you know, it was just a different aspect of, it was a different kind of business than, than we had traditionally worked with, right? They're, they're an app. And so I got to see a whole, a whole different world there too. And so picked up a lot while we were, uh, while we were working with them. And so that kind of leads us to uh, what, what, 
Davey and Krista is today. And and just for those listening in, if you're curious, and, and we'll mention this at the end, and of course, put it in the show notes as well, but you can see Davey and Krista's website if you go to DaveyandKrista.com. And one of my favorite things about your website, just right off the bat, is how clearly you guys have stated your brand position. And this, this topic of brand position is something that we've gotten into recently here on the podcast as well. Uh, but it reads, we help creative service-based business owners build their brands, launch their websites, and expand their reach. And um, it very clearly, it, it talks about who uh, you're actually reaching out to. And then, of course, it talks about how you're adding value to their businesses. And I, I would even say, and again, playing on this this book that I listened to recently called Building a Story Brand, Donald Miller, uh, I've mentioned on the podcast, and we'll link to it in the show notes as well. But he talks about the significance of making the potential client, the person that you're speaking to, that you're selling a service to or selling a product to, make them the hero of their own story versus highlighting the significance of you as a company in their story. That's going to come. That's, that's going to be realized naturally if you're focusing on making them the hero of their own story. And what you highlight in your brand position, aside from very clearly establishing what service it is that you offer, is how you're going to make that business owner a better business owner, how you're going to build their or help them build their business. And so I, I love the clarity of that. Uh, right above that, I, I think it says, building brands that book. Is that the, is that the phrase? Yep. I don't have it pulled up right here in front of me. But again, yep, that's right. the simplicity of that is really, really wonderful. So again, you guys make sure listening in that you go to DaveyandCrista.com and check out the website if for no other reason. Um, I certainly want you to take advantage of Davy and Krista services, but if for no other reason than to have a clear example of how to communicate your brand position very succinctly, uh, very clearly, very simply. It shouldn't take you you know, a half hour or even 30 seconds to communicate what it is that you're offering as a brand. You should be able to do it in just a couple of seconds with a simple sentence or phrase. And you guys have done that really, really well. So kudos to you for that. But I'd, I'd love for you maybe just to talk about how you developed that brand position, because I think this would be really insightful for our listeners. Yeah. I mean, that was something that it took a lot of work. And going back to what we were talking about, just that, that idea idea of pivoting, we started with the tagline brands that convert. And it seems like, you know, it's really only a difference in, in a word, you know, instead of brands that book, but it made a huge difference. So we started with brands that convert. We thought it was going to be a big hit. I felt, and I still do to a certain extent that there's too much emphasis on a, you know, a pretty website or a quote heartfelt website, Yes, but not enough focus on conversion, uh, focusing on how people actually use your website and what kind of information people are trying to find. So we, you know, we roll out with the tagline brands that convert. Uh, I think it's going to be great that it's going to resonate with people, but it really didn't, you know, the word convert didn't seem to play well. And there's something about that word, maybe because of the connotation is metrics, you know, the conversion just seems so technical, digital. Yeah. It, technical. That's a, that's a great way to put it. So it didn't resonate with people like talking about a quote, heartfelt brand, yeah, you know, yeah. and focusing on uh, pretty right? But we still thought it was important. We didn't want to just go that route because we knew that kind of language uh, resonated a little bit more with people. We started playing around with things. I, we didn't feel uh, that there were a ton of other people out there focusing on conversion. Not that there's no one else out there focusing on conversion, but I definitely think that a focus on conversion is uh, one of the key differences between someone who has experience and someone who, who doesn't. So we started playing around with different messaging 
and we stumble across the uh, phrase brands that book. I think we were putting together a talk for a conference that we were going to, that we we're going to be talking at. And we really, we, we thought, okay, you know, I think, I think this is, I think this is going to resonate more with people. And it did. And I think one of the differences is it's very much benefit focused, right? I mean, a, a photographer who's just starting out, it, it probably doesn't care about conversion and probably doesn't even really know what that means. Maybe, right. maybe because in, in some ways it's, it's overused, right. um, at least in some contexts, they just want to get out there and shoot. You know, they want to, they want to do the thing that they love. You know, they started a business because they like taking photos. And so they want to do more of that. So now when you frame conversion as booking more clients, you know, all of a sudden we were getting people's attention. So the heart behind what we were trying to do and what we try, what we were trying to convey didn't change. It was just the way that we packaged it. And that's what I think made a huge difference. And very simply, you were, you were just speaking the language of your potential clients, right? At least from the <laughs> photography industry side of things, yep. a, a photographer is not going to say, Hey, I just converted a wedding client. Um, <laughs> yeah, when they're right. talking about booking a client, they're going to say, I booked a client. So yeah. you're using the language that resonates with your potential client, a, a photographer or creative. And mm-hmm. uh, so that makes sense that, that that word ended up converting, uh, to borrow the other word, uh, much yeah. more effectively for you guys. That's really, really interesting. Now, you, something that you mentioned in that was there there's a lot of emphasis on pretty websites and and i have to be really clear first of all i think it's important and and really wonderful in fact that there has been much more emphasis put on pretty websites, so-called pretty websites. Um, Mm -hmm. They're not always minimalist in nature, especially in the photography industry. Photographers like to talk about themselves. Um, But (laughs) but nice imagery, hopefully a a relatively minimalist style website where the text doesn't kind of bombard you, but but is clear and actionable, um, I think is really, really important. But I know that in the photo industry, there is kind of an obsession with making sure that you've got really, really pretty pictures without thinking about how that website is going to actually convert, and I'm going to use that mm-hmm. word this time just for the sake of the technical side of this conversation, convert a potential client. Have you, have you noticed that? And, and why do you think that is? Why are photographers putting so much emphasis on the image versus that, that call to action that actually leads to booking a client more effectively? Yeah. I mean, I definitely see that in the photography industry. And I think it's not just limited to the photography industry. And I would say to give uh, that, you know, our industry credit, at least we care about how things look. Uh, And you had mentioned that, you know, so pretty, pretty is certainly good, but I think it stems from a failure of understanding what design is. You know, I think we conflate design with how appealing something looks. And that's certainly an aspect of design, but it's only one aspect of design. Hmm. I think design fundamentally has to do with the way something works. So it's as much about usability as it is creating something that's visually appealing. So it's not only the imagery that's important, but the language or the copy that's used on the website. And I think when you see a website that's designed well, it means that people are intuitively, uh, they intuitively understand how to get their desired result when they land on your website. And they're also led to take the action that you want them to take. So very much it's the intersection of getting people to behave as you want them to behave, such as filling out a contact form uh, and getting that inquiry and the visitor getting the information they need. And all of that takes place intuitively or subconsciously without a lot of thought fumbling around a website trying to figure out you know, where to find information. 
Well, and so if we were to break it down, then how, what percentage would you say of the potential conversion of a client or the booking of a client is reliant on the photographer's pretty images? And again, not to minimize that, there's some significance mm-hmm. there, but what percentage uh, is reliant on the photographer's images versus having a simple user interface, having a very clear brand position or brand message and a very simple call to action? How, how would you break that down if you were to compare and contrast them? Yeah, I think I think great content, just taking beautiful, breathtaking images can take you a long way. But I think that having a clear brand position, value value proposition, easy user experience, all of those things is really what takes you over the edge. You know, it really gets the visitor on your website to the finish line or at least to submit an inquiry. And so I think it's a tough question to answer with a percentage, with a number. And I think that, and I'm not really sure you can put a number to it. I think it would differ too, depending on price point and market. You know, like maybe, maybe if you're only charging a couple hundred dollars for a, a wedding collection, having much more than just an online portfolio might not make a, a huge difference. But if you want to get into actually, you know, charging probably what you should be charging for your services, I think all of those things uh, make a huge difference. So I don't know. I, I you know I know that's kind of a non-answer, but I, I just I struggle putting a percentage on it. But I do think those things make a huge difference, and we've seen that in our own business too, especially on the design side. Yeah, well, and I was going to say to that point um, again. If you go to DavyandKrista.com, you land on that homepage. What is above the the so-called fold, that the visible section of that homepage immediately when you land on it is. Uh, certainly a wonderful picture of you and Krista, uh, a pretty logo, very minimalist designs. There's not a lot that's cluttering up that page visibly when you get there. And then very simply, you ask a question, are you ready to build a brand that books? And and by asking a question, you're engaging that client. Now you've got them thinking or the potential client, you've got them thinking, and then you give them a very clear brand position and that value proposition. We help creative service-based business owners build their brands, launch their websites and expand their reach. And of course, who doesn't want to do those things, right? So (laughs) you've worded that beautifully. And then there's a very simple call to action, a button that says, get started. Um, I I mean, that's that's beautiful. And and all the digital noise, whether it's audio or visual or otherwise these days that so many people are used to consuming constantly, I I would argue that in many cases, a pretty image is common. Uh, And of course, pretty image is very subjective at the end of the day as well. So people are seeing constantly seeing pretty images all over the place, especially in Instagram. And they're used to that idea. So to create a very simple call to action, a very simple user experience that that makes it easy for this potential client to book you, I think is really important. And again, you guys have set a wonderful example in that. What would you say then, I mean, to that point, let's, let's kind of make this a bit more practical. Photographers many times do kind of take into their own hands this process of designing their own websites. And understandably, they're trying to save time, maybe in some cases, or maybe money in, in most cases. Yeah, I think it's probably money in <laughs> most cases. I think what they find is that it takes a lot more time than than maybe they thought it would. Fair enough. Well, And I, and I think that's important for our listeners to keep in mind. Um, but as a result, of course, you have a photographer who may have a decent eye for something that looks good, but they don't understand the importance of the functionality that you were describing earlier. I love the distinction that you made, the way something works instead of the way that it looks. And it's important to keep in mind that just like you wouldn't expect somebody off the street to take pictures at your wedding, um, (laughs) 
the average photographer really shouldn't just be taking into their own hands this design process that they don't know how good design works. And so I, maybe you can kind of point out there some of the problematic elements that you've seen on photographers' websites as a result of kind of taking that process on their own. And, and then we'll dig into how we can address those issues. Yeah, I think in the, I think especially in our industry, we see more photographers try to design their own website. And I totally understand why. I mean, th- that's what we did. I mean, we had the fortune of Krista being a web designer. So she had some skill to do that. But when you're first getting started, you have a limited time, limited resources, you know, especially when it comes to if it's just a, hide, a side hustle, just money to devote to it. So I totally understand why somebody might put their uh, own website together. And in some instances, we even recommend that, especially if you're just getting started. I think there's value in going through that process, even if you then hire somebody to get you over the finish line. And so there's great companies like uh, Show It, and we design templates for Show It where you can just you can buy the template, you can plug in your own stuff, and we'll even you know come along and, and help you get over the finish line if you need somebody just to to, to clean up your site a little bit. Love that. But as you said, I, you know, I think, I think because, uh, I think a lot of photographers try to bite that project off because we are very imagery focused. So we feel like we have an eye for design. Like I think most photographers do have some, an eye for design on some level, but there is a, there's a technical side to website design, just as there is to wedding photography. And I I love what you said. You wouldn't ask, you wouldn't ask somebody, just anybody off the street to come shoot your wedding and you wouldn't ask a, a family member, a random family member, a friend to do it because they might do a decent job, but they're going to miss some stuff that a professional is going to be looking for. And the second reason, and this is something, there's a saying that goes, a man who is his own lawyer has a fool for a client. And I think that there's a, a comparable lesson somewhere in there for uh, people trying to design their own website for the, the reasons we just talked about, but also because it's difficult to look at your website as a potential client would. And it's, you know, what we were talking about earlier when I was using the the language convert in our first tagline, we often, we get stuck in, we're so deep in our own industry that we forget what somebody who doesn't really know anything about that industry is thinking. We forget what questions they're asking themselves because we live it every single day. I mean, if you're a wedding photographer, You've probably been to dozens, you might've been to dozens, maybe hundreds of weddings, but that person getting married, it's likely their first wedding. And they've probably been researching only really since the time that they got engaged, right? So there's all sorts of things that I think a web designer is looking at that maybe a photographer just wouldn't be just by the nature of their training. But uh, to get to it, I'm sorry, that was a long, long-winded way to get to uh, a couple of things that we see uh, people or a couple of mistakes we see people make that are trying to design their website on their own. Certainly. And, and, and certainly don't apologize regarding adding commentary to the conversation, because actually that, that second point in particular that you made, the fact that we lack the objectivity of the perspective of a potential client, I think is a really important one to make. And I mean, I've, I've found myself in that quandary as a, in an owner at Photographer's Edit, for example. Example, um, reminding myself or being reminded of the significance of, as we talked about earlier, speaking our potential client's language effectively 
Mm -hmm. being able to effectively put myself in their shoes, despite the fact that I shot weddings for over 10 years, I'm not necessarily always going to to have the objective insight that may be necessary for that purpose. And so having an outside voice or voices, and especially those that have the skill set that that you guys do is really, really important. But yeah, take us to, to some of those problematic elements, if you will. Yeah. And just to add to that real quick, I think that's why coaching is so important. You know, having a, having a business coach or having somebody that you meet with that's outside of your business, because there's nothing like an outside perspective, somebody who's not in the weeds, somebody who doesn't, you know, really understand the ins and outs of what's going on, speaking into that. A couple things that we see people do one they design the website according to the outline they have in their head or the outline they've written down on paper. And so, uh, you know, I think that pretty typical for people when they get started uh, designing a website, they sit down and they, they map out what kinds of things they need on their website. And that's a great, that's a great place to start. But what happens is we decide, okay, well, we need galleries. We need kind words. We need, you know, uh, we need a place to show where we've been featured. So we map out all of those things. And what happens is a lot of people create a separate page for each of these things on their website. So they have a galleries page. They have a kinds words page. They have an investment or information page. And so one thing that we hear from people who come to us, is they say, you know, Davey or Krista, I have this information on my website, but nobody's looking at it. And, and you know, and I think that speaks to the limited time that people have, right? Like just because we put a a page on our website doesn't mean that people are going to take the time to look at that page or read that page in full. And so what we suggest people to do instead is instead of having a separate page for kind words, a separate page for your portfolio, a separate page for investment information, put all of that on one page. So if you go to our wedding photography website, you can see a little bit about this. It's uh, chrisajones.com. We have a tab you know, in our top level navigation and it's just weddings. And so when you click on that page, it walks you through the entire experience, right? So it, it, it kind of sets the stage for you know, how, we, how we do wedding photography. It has some call outs for kind words that past clients have said uh, about us. It talks a little bit about our process. You have uh, links to galleries that, um, that show off past work. And then after that, you have some investment information, but it's all neatly organized on one page because we, we want to control the experience. You know, we want to control kind of how people are consuming the information on our website. We know that they're probably going to want to see something, whether it be a gallery or whether it be investment information. So instead of making people guess kind of where to go or, you know, running the risk of them going straight to the price information or straight to the gallery in order that to us, at least doesn't make sense. We control that experience. We treat it as a sales page, you know? And so you kind of get walked through the experience um, of our service before you ever see uh, a price. I have a couple of questions there. Number one, and I'm sure. actually on that that page, beautifully laid out homepage there. But do you, number one, run the risk of missing out on the opportunity for the sake of analytics, not being able to actually see how they're engaging with your website? And then number two, do you also run the risk of, I don't know, maybe putting too much information all in one place? Will that get lost as a result uh, as well? Can you comment on both those things? Yeah, those are those are two great questions, and and we didn't always do things like this. We actually had our pages spread out in in maybe uh, the way that you might typically see it, where you have a separate portfolio page and then you have a separate pricing page and this and that. And there's a there's a couple issues that. Well, first, I guess I answer 
Uh, I'll talk about analytics and uh, the scroll. This is especially true on on mobile. You don't want to have something that scrolls on forever because people just don't scroll, right? So that's why the most important information stays uh, above the fold. But if you're looking for investment information, it's on that page. You just you just have to you have to scroll down to the bottom to see you know our our average price. And so that's a whole another thing that we could talk about whether you should list pricing on your website. I tend to think you shouldn't, and if you do, you should list you know the the average couple spends X amount. And there's a whole there's a blog post about that on our website that explains that. But I don't feel that that page is long enough that people won't scroll. And I think if you create a compelling enough page that people will scroll. And if you look at sales pages and we've all been on them, you know, so maybe it's an online course that you bought, just think about something you bought recently and think about the length of that page and think about one that does it effectively, right? As you're scrolling through that page, it's hitting you, you know, at the thing, at the objections that are coming up in your head, you know? So hopefully even by just the hero spot on the homepage, they see, oh, wow, they do good work. You know, this is interesting. This is promising, right? And they go over to the weddings page and they, and they wonder, okay, well, are they legit? And they're hit with uh, kind words and testimonials and places that we've been featured. Um, and then they, you know, so you're trying to, you're trying to give them information as they come up with those objections in their head. So that's, that's one of the reasons that we prefer that layout over the different, having things in different spots. The other thing is this, I don't know if I should say most photographers, because I don't have a statistic to back that up. But my guess is that many photographers do more than one thing right? They, they're not just wedding photographers, they're wedding. And in the case that, you know, in our case, being uh, we're also family photographers. So what happens when you have a separate page for galleries, a separate page for kind words, a separate page for uh, information is that you have a bunch of drop down menus now, or you have to put competing information on the same page. So maybe you have then on your portfolio page, you have a bunch of family sessions, which might not be relevant to the wedding folk and a bunch of wedding stuff that might not be relevant to the family folk. And we try to avoid drop down menus at all costs, you know, and, and they're fine in some cases, but I just think that, you know, in general, they're a pain and, you know, they, when things break, it tends to be the drop down menu. But again, it goes back to how people are experiencing your website. When, you know, if I'm interested in wedding photography, I want to make that information as easily accessible as possible. And when you start spreading that information out over multiple pages, I would argue that it's less likely that people consume all of that information and even more. And and I would say, you know, just as likely or not as likely that uh, people consume that information in the way that you want them to consume it. Interesting. Okay. So we want to get rid of that kind of internal, I I like how you described it earlier, the internal outline uh, that we have in our head and, and, of course, make the assumption that that outline should then equal all of these different pages, put the most relevant information on that first page so they don't have to do much work to get to it. Uh, and, and when you talk about drop downs, I'm, I'm thinking about drop downs as adding additional clicks mm-hmm. or additional work for that potential client in order to, to navigate to information. And, and I'd love that suggestion of minimizing use of those drop downs. I think that's really great. But get rid of that internal outline, put the most relevant information in the most easily accessible place possible in order to, to maximize the user experience. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Focus, just focus on the experience that you want people to have on your website. Do you want them to take five clicks to find the information that they need? Or is there a way to put it to, to only have them take one or two clicks to find that information? That's great. That's good food for thought. All right. Take us to another one, if you will. 
So uh, the second one we see is a, a blended galleries. And so we see, you know, it, part of what I just talked about where you have a galleries page and then you have, you know, one family gallery, one wedding gallery, one engagement gallery, and so on. And within those galleries, you have images from a bunch of different shoots. So what we always uh, advise people to do is have galleries, of course, try to keep those galleries on their respective pages. So the wedding gallery should be on, you know, the wedding pages and the families and so on, but also create galleries around single events and clients. So on our website, we have, you know, we have probably have nine galleries, I think there, each of them are from a different wedding. So we're kind of, sh- we're trying to show uh, some diversity there and we only have about 25 images from each gallery there. And I think what happens is if you try to throw, you know, if you have one gallery and it has 10 different weddings in it, the aesthetic feels off. You know, even if your shooting aesthetic is, is the same, which it should be, right? You should have a consistent shooting aesthetic. But even if that's consistent, you know, weddings aren't going to have the consistent uh, or a consistent aesthetic. So showing, you know, in 25 images that you can kind of, you can capture the aesthetic from the day, I think is, uh, is important. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Because there is, there is, you're right. There's a tendency, I think for photographers, and I was probably even guilty of it as a photographer to, to create a gallery where you see all these images from different weddings that don't necessarily flow together to be able to actually see an individual event or multiple, multiple events, um, and images from each of those events and the way that they flow together. I think that's, that's definitely a, a great recommendation. And I think that's good. All right. Take us to another one. So the third one would be, uh, oversharing. We have a tendency, I think, when we're thinking about what kind of information we want to make available to people, we think we have to make all of the information available to people. And you really, don't. you know, you really don't. Um, I laugh nobody- because I, I think I have that tendency. Even doing the podcast, I have a tendency to kind of quote overshare or say too much at times. It's less <laughs> well, is more, so much of the time, right? Yeah, less is more, less is more. But especially, you know, just thinking about in terms of the relationship, I'm sure that your podcast listeners, to a certain extent, uh, enjoy the stuff that you're sharing, but they've been over the course of 100 plus episodes, right, gotten an opportunity to to get to know you. But the the website, it's it's very much like the first date, you know, or or not even the first date, it's very much like just the handshake, right? And so when you're when you're shaking somebody's hand, and you're meeting them for the first time, you know, how much are you really sharing about yourself? You're probably not putting it all out there, right? And I think the same thing is true for a website. You don't have to share everything. You just have to answer enough so that people, you know, get the information that they need, right? So that their their initial objections are met. Anything that would keep them from doing whatever it is, the action that you want them to take. So if it's to fill out the contact form so they get an inquiry, answering any objection that would stop them from getting there but ultimately not oversharing. And so oversharing comes in many forms. One way that one, something that we see is on the homepage, you have links. Of course, you're going to have links to all the pages on your, on your website or, you know, the most important, important pages on your website in your top level navigation. But what happens is we see homepages that are stuffed with, you know, as you scroll down, it's links to this place and it's links to that place. And, and you're really kind of unsure as a visitor to that site, what action you want or, you know, uh, you think they want you to take, right? And you don't, you want to guide them to whatever is next. So you don't want to have links to everywhere, you know, on your homepage. And, it, you know, we kind of pointed out on our website, you know, we have a, a very simple, it's, you know, the hero spot is, is what we call it, that hero image. It's the area above the fold. 
what action, what primary action do you want people to take? Well, somebody new to our site, we want them to hit that get started button, you know, but if they scroll a little bit further, you know, they can go to the podcast, but we don't feel the need of linking to every possible page on our website from the homepage. And the second, the second kind of part of that is in galleries. Uh, speaking of galleries, you don't have to share full wedding galleries on your, on your website or full shoots. I heard somewhere it was said, uh, somebody said the best photographers share the least amount of photos. And if somebody wants to see a full gallery, when they email you, you know, we always send full galleries when we get inquiries, you know, so that they can see, okay, it's not, we just didn't get lucky that day and shoot 25 good photos. Right. But I think that's something that you can send down, down the line, uh, full galleries, they slow down your site. People can get lost in them. So all of that, we just tell people, don't be an overshare. And, you know, it reminds me, I love the analogy that you used earlier of, or, or the metaphor of, of a handshake, that the website really is actually a handshake. And I think there's a tendency in our industry to focus so much on sharing the, themselves, the, the photographer sharing themselves, their personality, who they are, their backstory. And, and so you have bio pages that just go on and on and on about the photographer. And while a little bit of information is important, maybe there should be a shift away from oversharing, as you're saying, so much to begin with. There's going to be an opportunity to get to connect on a personal level, no question. Um, but keeping that, I, I hesitate to say to a minimum, but keeping that to a minimum so that the potential client doesn't get overwhelmed by all of this reading that they have to do. I'm um, mm-hmm. giving them an invitation to begin a relationship, get them started with that process. You're going to have the chance to have conversation with them in person or over the phone or or otherwise later on. The, the focus, I think there should be more of a focus on on getting that client started in the process of beginning the relationship versus just kind of throwing it all out there. You wouldn't do that. I mean, if we take that first analogy or the, the first date analogy, you wouldn't just put everything out there your first date, but it seems like a lot of photographers are doing that. And I think it's distracting from what is ultimately the the purpose of that website to begin with. Yeah. And I think it's a fear that uh, people are asking a lot of questions that they aren't quite asking yet. So again, I think that's, that's where having a web designer or an outside perspective, somebody who can focus on user experience really comes in handy. Because again, when it comes to design, you know, it's, it's, it means that people, and I said this earlier, intuitively understand how to get their desired results when they land on your website. And simultaneously, they're led to take the actions that you want them to take. So it's that intersection, I think, of connecting people with what they kind of uh, feel like they need to getting them to take the action that you want them to take. Right, which very simply is is to, to book you as a photographer. And we have to keep in mind, I mean, I, I, I don't want to, in this conversation, minimize the significance of being personal with our clients. I think it's wonderful. I'm, I'm glad that the industry has shifted in that direction. We've kind of gone away, or at least for the most part, uh, gone away from, you know, the, the, the focus on these are the medals that I have. These are the certificates <laughs> that I have. These are the awards yeah. that I've won. And we've gone more to a personal relationship with our clients. That's a good thing. But mm-hmm. what we have to remember before we get into that is that this the purpose of this website is ultimately to book a client. And focusing on ourselves so much um, is taking away from an opportunity to to potentially convert that client or to 
book that client. Um, so we can get to that personal developing that personal relationship. If you want to share your life story later on over drinks, great, do that. But for mm-hmm. right now, share a little bit, but focus on on adding value uh, to their effort to find a photographer, and then ultimately potentially uh, to actually find a photographer in you. Make sure that you've given them the information, as you said, that they need um, for the sake of of booking them. And I think that's really important. You know, just to reiterate what you said, of course, uh, being relational is uh, is super important. We actually recommend, you know, when possible that people put their face somewhere on the homepage, generally that second element. So right below that hero spot, which really should be meant for, you know, that killer image, that, you know, head turner, but to put your face there because you, you will be working closely with your clients in, in a lot of cases, you know, there's a chance that you have more of an associate type business. But in many cases, it's you're, you're the face of your business and you're the person that's going to show up on the wedding day. And so trying to establish that relationship right off the bat is important. But that segues really, really well into this next point, which is getting too cute with the about page. And sometimes, and, and about pages are hard, but the thing about the about page is it's not really about you. You know, it's about your clients. And uh, you referred to Donald Miller earlier and his, uh, his book, um, Story Brand. And that's a great book, I think, for anybody to read. You know, I think, especially if you're not a web designer, picking that up and reading that, I think will go uh, a long way. But the about page, it's really about your client. And I think sometimes what we do is we look to other people in the industry. And at uh, Show at United, we were both at Show at United this past year. And Jenna Kutcher talked about this concept of, are we, are we trying to do things for our industry peers? Or are we trying to do something for our clients? You know, and so we should be focused on on serving our clients, not coming up with a cutesy about page for, you know, peers in the industry, because they're ultimately not who's going to be booking us. And I think what happens is because we don't really know what to put there, we just list like five fun facts about ourselves. And again, being relational is good, but at the same time, you want to be building your brand, kind of sharing how you're going to be a guide to that person and serve them. And, you know, sharing the fact that you really love hamburgers doesn't necessarily mean that somebody else who loves hamburgers is going to be, oh, that guy loves burgers. I'm going to book him, you know? And oh, by the way, they didn't come to find out that you love hamburgers. They came to, to look for a photographer too. So, yep. and, and we're both being a little bit sarcastic here. And I, I hope that it's not lost in the conversation as you, you've reiterated it. I've reiterated it, the significance mm-hmm. of that personal relationship. It's so important, but I'm glad that you mentioned Donald Miller again, because I think to my earlier point, he, he, he emphasizes the significance of making the client the important person in this story, not you. You're going to add value to that client and there's, there's going to be an opportunity for that personal relationship, but focus on how you can bring them value and it'll make all the difference in the world and and converting or booking that new client. I'm, I'm, this is great. Yeah. And just as you said, it, it's about, it's about the relationship. And of course you want to share a little bit about you, but if you, you know, if you, if you are looking to other people in the industry and, and you know that they're known for X, Y, Z, and it seems like it's unrelated to what they're doing, really look at it again, because the people that use that kind of stuff and I, you know, the, the, the Mac and cheese comes to mind for Jenna Kutcher, you know, that's kind of like a part of her brand. You know, there's a reason that those elements are a part of their brands. And there, there's a way that they've used those elements to build their brands. And so what, what, I, what we see often though, is people just thinking, oh, I'm just going to list a couple things that people like about me. So that's what we see with about, about pages. But the, the key takeaway here is make the about page about your ideal client. All right. 
instead of making it so much about you. So there's a mixture there, you know? So for one part, uh, for one part, you add four parts, your ideal client. <laughs> that's really, really good. I think, and I think that's a good, you know, a point of reference, if nothing else for our listeners to keep that in mind, one part, you four parts, your client. I think that's a great balance. And so the last thing here is contact forms. And contact forms, you know, everybody wants to talk about the about page. I've, I've written about this on our blog. The about page is, you know, what everybody gets excited about. I think when you go and look at somebody's website that they just launched, you often go to the about page. But the contact form, that's where the magic happens. You know, that's where somebody, that's where somebody's actually trying to reach out. That's, where, you know, where they become a prospect and a lead or where they become a lead. And, and I feel like we increasingly see these just over the top questions when it comes to contact forms. And so there's a couple of things that I think make a contact page effective. One, uh, not relying just on the form. So very first thing that we look for is that somebody has included their email address besides having just the contact form, because there's going to be instances where people come to your website and maybe it's an editor of a magazine. You know, and for whatever reason, I know it sounds weird, but sometimes if people don't, if, if the contact form doesn't feel like, uh, it's, it's relevant to them, you know, they just won't, they won't complete it. You know, that's not how they'll reach out to you. So having an email address in addition to your contact form where somebody can reach you, I think is super important and guards against the, the idea of, you know, what if your contact form breaks and you're not getting your email? So we always include a little note with our email address and just say, Hey, if you, if you, you know, don't hear from us uh, from two days, we, we might have not gotten your message for some reason, please feel free to reach out to us. But it's also there just for, you know, editors or somebody who, you know, they're not reaching out to us necessarily about their services or, or our services rather, but they still need to reach out to us. So have an email there. The second thing is ask as few questions as you need to ask to get the information you need to respond. Again, it goes back to that oversharing concept. You don't need to know their their mother's maiden name for you to respond with an email and and information about your uh, wedding collections. One of the questions that that I've I've seen lately is you know questions along the line of how much do you want to work with me on a scale from one to ten how much do you want to work with me and I just think you know we want to be relational we want to feel like we're friends with our clients you know but that kind of stuff comes later in the relationship you know you have to build your relationship to get there and so I think what we're we ask some some just weird questions in trying to qualify people but really you should be asking you know, their name, their email address. If you call by phone, then ask for their phone number. And then you might need to know their wedding date, maybe their wedding venue, just to respond. Maybe there's travel fees involved. And then a box that's not even required to fill out with any additional information that you think they should give you. But really having three, three to five questions max when it comes to a contact form because otherwise people just won't fill it out. You know, if, if I, I, I really, I think photography is really, really important. And even as somebody who thinks it's really, really important, if I see a question that's like, how much on a scale from one to 10, how much do I want to work with you? I'm just going to think, okay, this is a ridiculous question. I'm not answering. So that's one of the things that I would say there's, there's definitely value into asking certain questions that will qualify your leads. We do that after they inquire. So if you want to qualify leads further, we generally get them to inquire and then we'll send a list of questions. And this is for our photography business, but really for our, our design business as well. Um, we'll send a list of questions in, you know, to, to follow up, not only to get additional details, 
but also to qualify them a little bit further. Well, this is really good because ultimately what we want to do is make it as easy as possible for that that potential client to reach out to us, right? Uh, we don't mm-hmm. want to make them jump through a bunch of hoops or have to work too hard by filling out too much information in order to just reach out and get in touch with us. I understand that that photographers are probably, at least in some cases, trying to to filter out those who may not be a good fit. Uh, but in the yep. process, you may be filtering out those who would be a good fit because they're just annoyed with the process of trying to do something like get in touch with you. I love that mm-hmm. I'm actually on your contact page um, or the photography contact page right now and, and that you guys actually have different contact forms. And, and it doesn't clutter the page by giving uh, somebody coming to the contact page options. You have one contact form for weddings, one for portrait sessions, one for education and coaching, one for speaking, and then another to cover all the bases. But all, <laughs> all they have to do is just click on the appropriate one. And and to the point that you're making, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at these various contact forms, and it looks like no more than four different uh, fields, five, it looks like I'm one, the, the, the wedding contact form to to be filled out and to submit easy, it's clean, certainly easy to follow, which is really important. And uh, so I think this is a wonderful example of exactly what you're talking about. This has been a really, really practical conversation, which is, it's, I'm, I'm so excited about. I want to make sure that our listeners are able to take something away from this uh, immediately and go, go apply it to their business. And I'm sure they're going to see some results just from following the advice, the recommendations that you've made. But uh, to my earlier point, I also want our listeners to be able to reach out to you guys and take advantage of the service that you offer. I'm even kind of raising my hand right now. We, you and I may have to have some conversation after <laughs> uh, we start recording here, but um, how can our listeners find you guys online? I know we've mentioned it once already, but let's go ahead and mention the websites and maybe a way that they can get in touch with you, if you will. Yeah, for sure. And the last thing I'm going to say about contact forms is put a, a little question there about how somebody found you. All right. So I always put that there just because you want, you know, if, if you want to know who's referring you, you want to know where your traffic's coming from. So that's the last thing I'll say. I'm really passionate about that. And there's a whole post on the blog about that. But speaking about the blog, the best way to connect with us is davianchrista.com. If you go there, you're going to find all the information that you need. You're going to see links to social media and all of that. My personal Instagram is at dvtjonesy. Uh, Chris's is at Krista A. Jones. And then we have one um, for our business as well, which is at davianchrista. But you know, all of that stuff is at the website, davianchrista.com. Perfect. Davey, this has been extremely valuable. Thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast listeners. We'll make sure to link to all of these resources uh, as well as the the websites and and ability to be able to contact Davey and Krista in the show notes. If you just go to bocapodcast.com, you can find all that information there. But truly, thank you so much for making time for all of us, Davey. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been a blast. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com dot com.